Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we're taking inventory in a two-part podcast, part two out on Monday, taking a look at the defense in our season review off-season primer. That'll be part two. We'll take a look at the offense on today's podcast with some numbers, the strengths of the players, some areas we can improve in each room, all my opinion, of course. And we'll take a look what major publications have for their free agent and draft rankings at each position as we get ready for the offseason, the transaction season. And we'll also make some wild card weekend picks from somewhere in South Florida. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So a couple of more coaching candidate additions to inform you of here on the podcast. On Wednesday, we talked about the interview request for Brian Dayball, for Dan Quinn, and for Mike McDaniel. We have three more to inform you of here, according to reports from reporters and insiders at NFL Network and ESPN across Tom Pelissero, Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter. You guys know the heavy hitters. And up first is Kellen Moore, the current offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. And a fun fact about him is he grew up about 15 minutes from my hometown, and there's a little water tower there in Prosser, Washington, kind of like Kevin O'Shea in the Little Giants where he's proudly displayed there. And he was the first quarterback that Chris Peterson won a whole bunch of games with there at Boise when he was a college player for the really first mid-major football program to shake things up. Then he had a cup of coffee as a player in the NFL and turned right into coach on that Cowboys staff, working his way up to offensive coordinator. Now that Dallas offense is loaded, but I do think there is something to be said about maximizing a talented group like that and keeping every mouth fed. One of those young, bright minds in the NFL that will get a lot of attention in these interview cycles. The key is to find out though, as it is for any potential candidate, what kind of leader they're going to be, how they can command a room. And that's just something that we cannot possibly know as fans or media or whatever the case may be. And that's where kind of my real fascination with this whole process sets in. Because like I said, we can't know. We'll get to know the coach as we go along, whoever it might be. But that is so intriguing to me as on the outside, we try to figure out exactly what these guys are about, what makes them tick, and what kind of leaders and people and coaches they are. Also on the list, a familiar face, former Dolphins defensive coordinator Vance Joseph is on that interview request list. He left here in 2016, or after the 2016 season, I should say, to take the Broncos head coaching job. Now, we saw a defensive transformation when he left in terms of the style of defense, pivoted to Matt Burke and more of that wide nine defense, and it didn't work out for Vance ultimately in Denver as the head coach, but his next stop it sure as hell did, going back to a DC position. The Cardinals finished 11 in points per game allowed this year and 12th last year. Before that, in Vance's first year, while he kind of implemented his system and he also didn't have Kyler Murray that year. They were 28th in points scored, but before his arrival, 26, 19, 26. So he inherited a group that was consistently in the bottom third in scoring defense and now has them in the top third of the National Football League. So he's going in the right direction, experience as a head coach. And again, 
The Dolphins have cast so far a wide net of variety across these candidate types. We have an offensive guy first here, a defensive guy next. We had the same mix on the show on Wednesday, and we finish up here with another defensive coordinator right now in the NFL in Leslie Frazier, who's been up in Buffalo since 2017. And that's really about when that defense began to lay the groundwork for what it is right now. They had a really good free agent and draft crop that year with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde and Tredavious White, and that has now become a top-flight unit under he and head coach Sean McDermott. Previously, he was the head man in Minnesota with a two-year stint in Tampa Bay sandwiched in between there. He was with the Vikings from 07 to 2013, the interim head coach in 2010, and the head coach between 2011 and 2013. And whoever winds up interviewing and getting the job here, here's what they're going to have to work with as we kick off our roster assessment, our off-season primer and season review edition of the Drive Time Podcast, starting with the Miami offense and at the quarterback position with Tua Tungavailoa, two quarterbacks under contract right now or heading into the off-season portion on the current roster before contracts expire on the new league year. One quarterback is signed for a long time here in Tua Tungavailoa. And he's entering year three of a four-year rookie deal and has that fifth-year option for the 2024 season before ultimately being an unrestricted free agent in 2025. Now, the numbers weren't necessarily kind to Tungavailoa's performance this season. Well, they were up until the bye week. He was in top 10. A lot of very important categories like completion percentage above expected, QBR, his escape rate and sack rate and pressures to sacks allowed. All that stuff was looking pretty good, but the smaller sample size with a few games missed made it somewhat volatile and that, you know, kind of bad run towards the end of the season after the bye week put him behind the median in some of those categories. He finishes 19th in passer rating this season with a 90.1 passer rating. His QBR was 50.6, right above the median. That was 18th highest in the National Football League, so below the median in that regard. His uh, net yards per attempt. This includes all dropbacks and sacks and total yards gained. It's not just yards per pass attempt. 6.13. That was also 19th. His completion percentage was six, uh, 67.8. That was seventh best in the National Football League. His completion rate above expected was sixth at plus 2.9%. His sack percentage was 4.8. That was tied for fifth best in the NFL. And his pressure to sack percentage was 13.8. That was sixth best in the National Football League, and I think it really indicates the pocket presence that Tua displays and the kind of quick twitch to get off that spot and climb up, and we've talked about the scramble plays, the ability to get off of the original top of the drop and make plays after that. I think that stat really, really paints that picture for the quarterback. And then also big-time throws, and this is an interesting one that I looked at here because Pro Football Focus defines this as excellent location and timing generally further down the field and or into a tighter window. He had six of those this season. Might not sound like a lot, but it was 22nd most in the National Football League with just 12 and a half games played. But I found it interesting the group right ahead of him with seven big time throws consisted of Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, and Justin Herbert. And two was 5.1 big time throw percentage was higher than all of those guys. So he moved into the top 15 in terms of big time throw percentage there. And Tua posted three straight games this year with a passer rating over 100. And the Dolphins' third down offense converted at a 40.8% clip. That's 13th in the National Football League. And both of those numbers, the 40.8% and 13th rank, are the highest for the Dolphins since 2009. 
That was a Wildcat year, the, the second Wildcat year with Ricky and Ronnie. I was trying to figure out how the heck that happened. They were actually first in the NFL in third down percentage that year, but it helps me have a strong running game and a good offensive line like they had to create shorter third down distances to move the chains, which is what happened that season. But in two of 12 and a half games, the conversion rate was up to 43.3%, which would have been 11th. They also scored 5.7 points per game more with him in the lineup opposed to uh, 14.4 points without, 22.1 points with him, and 22.1 is the best scoring output this offense has had, well, since last year at 25.3, but before that, the most since 2016. Some bright spots, I thought he was really good in the quick game, the accuracy, the processing, the quick decisions that he makes, the ability to put multiple conflict, or defenders in conflict, rather, within the scheme of the offense for the RPO game, the possibility of running the ball, the dash pass, the slant, the sneak and wheel route behind it all, coming back to the backside of the formation for the dig or the slant on that side, the glance route, the now route, whatever the case may be. I thought he really processed and played that package well. It's a good package to kind of have your baseline off of. Of course, the Dolphins will have to find a way to get more traditional drop back game and and more success in that if they want to be successful with this position and in the passing league and the passing game of a passing league I thought we saw some scramble ability we talked about the three rushing touchdowns he had the two third down conversions he had with his legs in this past game and the ball placement all of that stuff was really good the completion rate above expected the overall completion percentage accuracy has never been an issue for Tua Tungavailoa except for when the mechanics became inconsistent. And that's where I want to see him improve this offseason is getting his feet underneath him more consistently against pressure, not throwing those balls with his feet off balance. Because in the RPO game and the quick game and the the quick up and out ball, it's okay to not have your feet set on those. And he's great in that regard. But when you hitch up and you hitch up and then there's pressure and you slide left, you slide right, you hitch up some more to not have the feet set That's when some balls sailed on him in those muddy pockets or just insecure pockets around him. So I want to see him improve to be able to get to that position more going forward. And then also ball security, too many fumbles this season, too many balls in harm's way. And then just having consistent solutions when he's hot, like those things we talked about on the All-22 reviews where the crossing route underneath seemed like it would be there at times and we wouldn't always see it and hit that. Again, I can't know the progressions of the play, but it looked like there was some outlets and opportunities sometimes when we didn't throw the ball or ate the ball or went elsewhere with it. Also at the quarterback position, Jacoby Brissett, he is scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. I thought he was at his best off schedule, extending and dealing with broken pockets also. Now the sack percentage was a significant amount higher with him in the game, but there were also more explosive plays. So kind of the yin and the yang of big play hunting and the contrast that comes with that. Now, of course, it ultimately Wasn't a great thing for the Dolphins offense to have that this season because of the way the rest of the offense kind of performed, but he went 62.7% completion, 5.7 yards uh, per uh, net yards per pass, five touchdowns and four interceptions for Jacoby Brissett. And then we get to the offseason primer here by taking a look at what the free agent and draft class have to offer. And we'll do those by the top 100 overall on both free agent and draft prospects. From Pro Football Focus for free agents and for CBS Sports for their draft big boards. And that's where we start here. They have Matt Corral from Ole Miss, Kenny Pickett from Pitt, Malik Willis from Liberty, Carson Strong from Nevada, and Sam Howell, the North Carolina quarterback there. And coming off of two draft cycles where you had nine total first round quarterbacks selected 
We'll see what happens with this one, but I would expect to be more closely tied to 2013 with one, maybe one, maybe two quarterbacks off the board in the first round. I'm pretty intrigued by Malik Willis. He has some of the physical traits and the ability to get the ball downfield from any platform he wants, the ability to incorporate the running game and the zone read, athletic kid that can really throw the football with with strength and with zip and velocity down the football field. He really intrigues me out of this group. As far as the pro football focus free agent rankings, Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ben Roethlisberger, and Marcus Mariota among those in their top 100 free agents available. Now Fitzpatrick coming off a big injury, also previously played here. Ben Roethlisberger sounds like he's going to retire. And then Mariota was a backup for the last couple of years in Las Vegas. Be curious to see if he winds up getting a starting job somewhere or a chance to compete somewhere. And then obviously you have Jameis Winston who... Held the fort, started there for the Saints for while he was healthy. But once he went down, that offense had a hard time finding its rhythm. So really, the quarterback crop this year, both free agency and the draft, we you know this is kind of something you've seen on the national landscape that if you're going to go in that direction, it might be best to pursue the big name trade targets that are rumored to be out there. But at the end of the day, those trades usually wind up not happening. But if they do this year, I'll be really curious to see where those guys would wind up. And it's always kind of fun for the NFL to have the big names up there at the top kind of shift and change teams because it creates more offseason storylines and gets us more ramped up than we already are in the summer months. But those are your draft eligible names and your free agent rankings from CBS Sports and from Pro Football Focus. Let's go ahead and move on to the running back position. But first, before we do that, a short break. Week one of the off-season drive time podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, part one of the season review slash 2022 off-season primer podcast. And we pick it back up here in this part one episode, looking at the offense with the running backs and the only running back currently on the roster with the contracts through this coming season is Miles Gaskin. He's scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent in 2023, but on the season, 173 carries for 612 yards. That's 3.5 yards a pop. He did score seven total touchdowns and pitched in with 234 receiving yards. He forced 19 missed tackles for an average of 2.18 yards after contact, and he had 12 runs of 10 plus yards. And I thought Miles... Coming into the season, his biggest strength was the feel and vision he had at the position. And that's something I feel like coming up this next season, he needs to rekindle that portion of his game and refine that portion of his game because I like the way he added his third down presence and pass catching and just overall prowess on that particular down, the ability to flex out wide and, and play in an empty set and be a valuable pass option. Running those little arrow routes, those speed out routes, the option routes from that running back position. I like what he brings in that regard. In the running back department, though, get back to more of those 20-20 miles Gaskin runs uh, going forward. Now, the rest of the guys in this room are up for new contracts. Duke Johnson, the first among them, a UFA coming up. 71 carries, 330 yards on the season. That was 4.6 yards per carry, far and away the highest on this Dolphins roster. Three touchdowns, he forced 12 missed tackles and averaged 3.28 yards after contact. That also was more than a full yard, more than anybody else in the roster. He had 11 runs of 10 plus. That was second behind Miles' 12, and we know the carry difference there. 100 fewer carries for Duke Johnson. I liked his feet, man. The way he was able to stay square and stay on balance, but also in a threatening position, 
no matter how he got behind his blocks, like if he had to skip step or if he had to do a kind of a long stride to get to that position, he was able to get his feet back into a position where he could explode off of that look and it created better leverage. It created blocks that guys had an easier time staying on and that suddenness paired with running behind his pads to kind of fall through tackles and pick up additional yards. I, I cannot overstate how much of a difference it is to get to second and five compared to second and seven. We talk baseball on this podcast all the time. It's like that 1-1 pitch that's right off the outside edge of the outside corner and the batter takes it. It's a good take, right? And the umpire calls a ball, two and one. When you bat in a 2-1 count versus a 1-2 count, the numbers completely change as far as your batting average, your likelihood to drive in some runs, to hit for extra bases. All of that stuff increases when you're ahead in the count. Same type of deal when you're talking about yardage to go on second and third down. Makes a huge difference. And I thought the way Duke ran really helped Miami get more two-in-one counts, if that makes sense. And, you know, I've been trying to talk about things to improve upon. You can talk about Duke Johnson's pro career up to this point, but in the Miami Dolphins uniform, I thought he was really good. Like, there wasn't much to complain about. We'll see what happens with him, but if he's back, I'd just say a full offseason of digesting the playbook, whatever that might look like, and helping the run game expand based upon what it was in 2021. Philip Lindsay, also an unrestricted free agent, 38 rushes, 119 yards. That was good for 3.1 yards per rush. He scored one tutty. He forced five missed tackles and averaged 2.37 yards after contact. That was second on the roster behind Duke Johnson. And he had three runs of 10 plus yards on those 54 carries. I've talked about how important that is to me about hitting 10 or 15, 20 yard runs. I think that's very a very underrated, maybe it's not underrated, but to me, that's a very important aspect of the position. Can you hit the explosive plays in the running game? Because that goes a long way too in terms of how the defense has to defend you when you can hit those chunk plays in the running game. But for Philip Lindsay, thought the best assets that he showed were those outside runs, the stretch zone, the outside zone runs. He also can pair off of that with split zone and inside zone. Very much an accomplished zone runner in his career. Also loved his pass protection work. I think elusiveness at the second level is one area you can see him improve upon to take his game to another level next season. Savon Ahmed is an exclusive rights free agent this offseason. 54 carries, a buck 49, 2.8 yards per carry. He also chipped in with a buck 17 through the air. He forced four missed tackles for two yards average after contact, and he had three 10 plus yard runs. You guys on this podcast know how much of a fan I was and am of Savon Ahmed's game, but there was just a couple instances this year where he wasn't able to get through some arm tackles. What game was it? It was I think it was the Panther game. Might have been the Panther game. Might have been before that. But there was a game where he had like two chances to spring long runs if he just made one guy miss and it barely got tripped up by like a shoestring tackle or an arm tackle. And he was the guy on the roster that has the explosiveness to make those big plays happen. And we saw it in the passing game all throughout the training camp and the offseason. And those are the two things that I still think he brings in his game as the explosive element and the passing game prowess. But getting through those arm tackles and then pass pro. You have to be able to pass pro to stay on the field for third down to be a receiving back. And that's an area where he needs to work on his game in the upcoming offseason. The guys that finished on the reserve list were Malcolm Brown and Patrick Laird. And of course, Jared Dokes on the practice squad as well. So we'll get a look and see what happens with those guys. But as far as the entire room goes, just more explosive plays, more consistent taking advantage of when it was blocked up well. I thought we saw Duke Johnson do a great job with that. And then also kind of tack on some extra yards on top of what's blocked for him, and then making tacklers miss in the second and third level, all areas of improvement 
this offseason for the entire room. In the draft, there's a couple of backs that I really love, and this is from, I keep forgetting which one I used, CBS Sports, used, I used them for the draft rankings. Isaiah Spiller out of AM. he is a great three-down, all-around type of back. Kenneth Walker is one of those big, bruising type of guys that has fantastic contact balance and can really change direction without losing acceleration. He was Michigan State's bell cow. Brees Hall, kind of the similar thing there at Iowa State. He's a really good runner. And then Kyron Williams rounds out their four guys within the top 100 at the running back position from Notre Dame. And this is without some declared, some guys not having declared yet too. So some of these lists are kind of incomplete right now, but this is just a mid-January offseason primer. At free agency, uh, Leonard Fournette's a free agent, Melvin Gordon. Corderell Patterson's interesting. He's a receiver slash running back slash does everything. Raheem Mostert also on that list. He got injured early this season, but he is a fantastic outside zone runner and just a speed merchant. Rashad Penny blew up late in the season for the Seahawks. Have to imagine they want to bring him back after that. Ronald Jones, the former USC Trojan and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a free agent. And Sonia Michelle also rounds out their top 100. At the receiver position, we know what Jalen Waddell did. He has a fifth-year option for 2025 and a UFA in 2026, so he's ours for the time being and for the foreseeable future. 104 catches on 138 targets, 75.4% completion for Jalen Waddell, 1,015 yards, seven total touchdowns. One of those was on the ground. He averaged 1.75 yards per route run. We talked in the podcast all season long about how two is really where you want to be in terms of Pro Bowl and, and above level. I thought that he had some opportunities to get up there, but of course we talked about the operation of the Dolphins passing game, not really affording many downfield opportunities. 4.4 yards average after the catch and a seven yard average depth of target, which explains why he's only averaging 1.75 YPPR. You get that number up, that number certainly will go up as well. But I mean, we've been over this with the strengths, the toughness, the competitiveness, the routes, understanding leverage. I just the thing I put for improvement is I just want to see more big plays because he's more than capable of it. One of the best big play receivers that college football had ever seen. But again, I wouldn't say that was exclusively on Jalen Waddle, not even close. The other receiver that's signed here beyond this season is Devontae Parker. He's a UFA in 2024. He caught 40 of his 73 targets. That's 54.8%. For 515 yards, two touchdowns, he averaged 1.48 yards per route run, had 108 total yak yards, and then 12.4 average depth of target. So really, he was the downfield receiver for this team. And that's part of the strengths I like about Devontae Parker's game. You put him into the boundary, they roll the safety away, go vertical, young man, and go up and get a football and high point that thing, a 50-50 ball, which in Parker's case is more like a 70-30 ball. And that's, I think, where a big number of that average depth of target came from. He's also fantastic on in-breaking routes, those slants, those square-ins, those digs. And as far as what we could see improvement on, some separation and suddenness at the top of the route. His next-gen numbers for separation were among the lowest in the National Football League this season. And the rest of the guys are up for new deals this offseason. Albert Wilson, an unrestricted free agent, 25 of 37 catches and targets. That's 67.6%. 213 yards, didn't score a touchdown. 0.98 0.98 YPPR. He had 146 of those 213 came after the catch and an A dot of 5.6. Catches a lot of balls close to the line of scrimmage. I just wrote down that this guy was a very selfless player who really filled a thankless role for a big chunk of the season to help create space for the offense on some of those motions and really decoy and dummy type routes. And then my improvement was just getting upfield when you catch the football. Just get north-south, man. Get those first downs. Mac Hollins, unrestricted free agent this year as well. He caught 14 of his 28 targets, obviously 50%. 
223 yards, four touchdowns, 1.04 yards per route ran. He had 43 yak yards, 16.7 a dot. The big play, Mac Hollins, big play man. Steady hands and consistent deep threat when provided the opportunities. I mean, he was getting upfield and making big plays for this football team. Had some big catches in that Jacksonville game as well. I just, I put on here again, separation. That's kind of a theme for this room. Just more separation at the top of the route to create easier windows and avenues for Tua Tungabailoa. We talked about his big time throw percentage. He also had one of the highest rates of throwing into tight windows in terms of next gen, where there's a receiver or a defender rather within one yard of the receiver at the catch point. Isaiah Ford's an unrestricted free agent. He caught 12 of his 15 targets for 80%. That's 161 yards, two touchdowns, and 1.92 yards per route ran. Led the team in that category. 62 yak yards, 9.1 A dot. You love his versatility. You love the fact that he knows every position. He's the kind of guy that you can sign midseason, like he came back here with the Miami Dolphins, and you just say, hey, go learn these positions. He'll learn them. He'll, He'll digest them. And then he can get on the field and communicate them to the rest of your roster. Good veteran presence there and one of the best guys I've ever been around. And his release at the line of scrimmage is something I think that maybe could take his game to the next level. Preston Williams is a restricted free agent after going as a UDFA in 2019. He caught six of his 16 targets. That's 37.5% for 71 yards. Didn't find pay dirt. 0.68 yards per route ran. 39 yak yards and a 10.1 A dot. I just, you know, I wrote down here that I just don't think it's the kind of career arc most of us thought we saw coming after that first season, especially that first training camp. A very talented receiver, but injuries have certainly played their role in his career so far as he's been kind of up and down on the active roster throughout the first three years of his career. And the thing he can improve on, catching the football. Too many drops this year and really the last couple of years. So not finishing on the active roster was Tommy Lee Lewis and Kirk Merritt and Will Fuller. And then as far as the overall room improvement goes, same as the running back position. More explosives, more separation across the board as well. And a lot of less than two yards per average of separation on next gen. Want to see that go ahead and improve. Other guys who finished on the reserve list, Lynn Bowden Jr. Remember him? We didn't see him all season, but he'll be back in the fold. And then Alan Hearns. Stop me if you've heard this before. The receiver class in 2022 is absolutely loaded again. (laughs) 13 names in the top 100 and two I'm not real familiar with, but the rest I am. So some work still to do there. And I have a lot of work to do on the draft from now until April. But this CBS uh, draft ranking has Garrett Wilson as their wide receiver one. Jamison Williams is the game breaker there at Alabama. He was actually at Ohio State. And their number three guy is Chris Olave. So their top three guys were all Ohio State receivers at one point. That's Brian Hartline, man. You're doing some work out there. All three of those guys have their own unique skill sets. They're all very good players. Jamison Williams is super explosive. I love that about his game. Traylon Burks is a lot of people's receiver one. He's number four on this list, but he is a big time player, almost DK Metcalf-like in the way he is kind of built up and can run and has the athletic ability. Jahan Dotson, OJ McDuffie called him the best receiver at Penn State in the history of the school. More than OJ McDuffie? I don't know about that, but he's really, really, really good. Drake London at USC has a lot of people's attention. I haven't got a chance to watch much of his game lately, or I should say yet. David Bell at Purdue, he's a phenomenal just route runner and clean and smooth type of receiver. George Pickens at Georgia, very athletic receiver. Justin Ross had a fantastic start to his career, but some injuries knocked him back. He's eligible to come out for the draft. Calvin Austin, the third from Memphis. That's a guy that I'm not familiar with. John Mechie, the second from Alabama. Also love his game. Wandell Robinson at Kentucky, beast. 
And then Khalil Shakur from Boise State, not familiar with his game. Free agents, Devontae Adams, the best receiver in the National Football League. Chris Godwin, one of the best. Allen Robinson, one of the best. Mike Williams, pretty damn good in his own right. Michael Gallup tore an ACL a couple weeks ago. I think he's one of the most underrated receivers in the National Football League. He is scheduled to be a free agent. Juju Smith-Schuster's out there after last year's one-year contract with the Steelers. Odell Beckham Jr. And then Isaiah McKenzie, who had that breakout game for the Bills in the absence of Cole Beasley. He is electric with the football in his hands. Let's go ahead and take our last break here before we go ahead and do the tight ends and the offensive line. Drive Time Podcast, Off-Season Primer, Part 1. Welcome back into the Drive Time Podcast. We're picking this back up here on the off-season primer part one, looking at the offense with the tight ends. We start with Adam Shaheen, who is scheduled to be a free agent after the 2023 season. He caught 12 of 16 passes this year for 75%, uh, 110 yards, no touchdowns, 0.72 yards per route ran, 43 yak yards, and a 6.3 A dot. I like the way he controls the point and his angles in the run blocking game. And then just kind of something we can see that I thought was more apparent in 2020, fighting off reroutes and creating space in the passing game. Then we have Seathan Carter, who's also uh, under contract next year for the Dolphins. 24 is his, uh, 2024 rather, is his scheduled free agency. He caught both of his targets for 16 yards. Thought he was good on special teams, just didn't have enough tape on offense to give you a great eval here. And then Hunter Long, he's a free agent in 2025, obviously being drafted last year, four-year rookie contract, caught one of two targets for eight yards. I mean, how can we really say anything about improvement here? It's it's more of a practice evaluation. We don't get to see that end season, but I do think he showed some promise as a dual-purpose tight end who could command attention in the middle of the field and not just run like verticals, but like run overs and account for multiple like force zones to expand because of his athletic ability. I thought some of his run, that was in in training camp, I should say. I thought some of his run blocking tape in season was pretty good. And it's always tough for tight ends to make an immediate impact. One of the hardest positions because you have to work in the running game, you have to work in pass pro, and you have to know the route tree. It's a tough racket to come in and make a big, big impact. I think Durham Smythe said it best at a a press conference back in November talking about how good of a football player he is, but not being exposed to the general public yet because of the playing time. He said he's a smart guy. He mentioned as well, it's a tough position to come in and play right away. And he talks about how both he and Mike back in 2018 had to come in here, learn the position. He mentioned his own injuries he dealt with that year, but he talked about the situation in terms of staying involved in the game plan for Hunter Long being a good player, and he says he's going to be a very good player in this league as long as he stays on his current track right now. It's cool to see that, obviously, without him getting many reps in the games, he's still staying so involved. So kudos to him, Smythe, talking about rookie tight end Hunter Long. And that's it for guys currently under contract. Two free agents here, Mike Gesicki, 73 catches on 106 targets. That's 68.9%. 780 yards, a pair of touchdowns, 1.45 yards per route ran. He had 230 yak yards and 89 average depth of target. He is a fantastic contested catch guy, ability to get on top of defenders and really kind of stay on balance and fight through contact to get to his route on time has really improved throughout the course of his career and to quickly threaten down the field. Like he can get off line and get up field quickly, especially when he opens up with those long strides. I thought drops were kind of a new thing for Mike this year. That's an area of focus for improvement for the big tight end. Durham Smythe caught 34 of 39 targets, 87.2%. A lot of those were those dash passes right at the line. 
357 yards, no touchdowns, 1.25 yards per route ran, 165 yak yards, 6.6 yards average depth of target. Thought he helped the offense maintain their flexibility and versatility with the ability to kind of run the ball and pass the ball out of 12 personnel, but more consistency in the running game when he comes across on split zone and trying to find second level defenders and seal the edge, just more consistency in that regard. For the entire room, I thought more receiving production and dual functionality would really help this Dolphins offense out. The ability to throw tendency breakers where you have 11 personnel on the field and you run the ball and you throw the ball from 12 personnel. I think that's kind of, that's something that if he develops into what you think he can be Hunter Long, I think can help you improve with. I haven't done any work on the tight end class yet, so forgive me for that. But in the draft, Jalen Weidermeyer from Texas A&M, Trey McBride from Colorado State, Cole Turner from Nevada, Kate, uh, Kate Otten from UW, Jeremy Rucker at Ohio State, and Jake Ferguson at Wisconsin all crack CBS's top 100 big board. And then free agency, Mike Kosicki's on there, Dalton Schultz, Rob Gronkowski, and those two, I mean, we'll see about Gronk's where he goes after this, but Dalton Schultz had a really good year for the Cowboys. He can kind of, like I mentioned with Hunter Long, do kind of that multi-purpose role. Zach Ertz kind of had a coming out, a, a re-emergence, I should say, with the Cardinals after leaving Philly. Evan Ingram, big time potentials, hasn't stayed healthy there for the Giants. Same kind of deal with David Njoku. Jared Cook's also a free agent. Gerald Everett. Mo Ali Cox is a fantastic inline blocker. And Anthony Ferkser, a little bit of the same there for the Titans. We finish up on the offensive line here at the tackle and interior positions for the Dolphins. Liam Eichenberg, obviously on a rookie contract. His UFA comes up in 2025, so he's here for the foreseeable future. Uh, 62 pressures this year, eight hits, nine sacks. And in the, in the, so those are all separate categories. So it's nine sacks, eight more quarterback hits, and then however much is left over is how many hurries there were. Uh, charge to Liam Eichenberg. It's a 94.6 pass blocking efficiency on 704 snaps. Thought he was really good on double teams in the running game when he could kind of chip and climb to that second level. He usually plays a pretty good pad level. Big fan of that portion of his game. And then just an improvement. This is something about him and Austin Jackson that I know is kind of tandemly next to each other was when they engage up high, sometimes the feet kind of go dead and staying more active in that regard where your feet match and mirror what your upper half is doing and then staying back in pass pro where he's not leaning out and trying to go get blocks because a lot of times he would do that and guys would throw a swipe or a rip or a swim and it would get him out over his skis and you can't recover from that position. At left guard, Austin Jackson, he has his fifth year option uh, up in 2025 or 24 rather, and an unrestricted free agent in 2025. So he has some more runway there. 49 pressures, six hits, two sacks, 96.1 pass block efficiency numbers. And that's on 708 pass blocking snaps for the Miami Dolphins this year. I liked his tenacity, the way he finished plays and the athletic ability. Some of those skip pulls and getting out to the front side of the formation. He shows a lot of that in regard to his left guard position. And there's more of it than there was a tackle. As far as what he can improve on, just consistency in the technique and the placement and the punch, getting those hands in the same place over and over again. And then when I talked about Liam Meikenberg too, the feet staying active with the upper body. Michael Dieter is an unrestricted free agent in 2023. So he has uh, one more year on that rookie deal. 10 pressures, two hits, one sack, 98.2 pass blocking efficiency on 335 PB snaps. I think his length is a big plus at that position. It opens up more blocks you can ask of him than most centers. As far as what he can improve on, more consistent push in the running game and anchor against power rushers. Got walked back a little bit towards the end of the season. Wouldn't mind seeing some more sand in the pants there. Robert Hunt on that rookie deal as well. He is due up in 2024, so we have him as well. 31 pressures, three hits, two sacks, 97.6 pass block efficiency on 740 reps. 
I thought he was fantastic this year. The mechanics and the technique sharpened up big time. He was totally in control when pulling, when out in space. He plays super low, even when he has to like kind of dig out. Because sometimes those, those, I guess, three tech or sometimes two techs when they're kind of playing over the guard, they will drop that outside shoulder and he has to go down there and connect to climb. And he can really drop that pad level or, or fire out low and stay low at that pad level and dig out that double team and climb to the second level. I love the way that he finds work. Just watch tape this year and you'll see him like when he's got no one to block, he goes out and finds someone and knocks him out and gives himself a rack of ribs, as Kyle Krabs would say. Thought he finished strong the last two years. Really looking forward to seeing him pick up where he left off in week one next year. Jesse Davis is an unrestricted free agent in 2023, so one more year on his deal. 57 pressures, 10 hits, 8 sacks, a 95 pass blocking efficiency on 692 snaps. Liked his leadership, his presence for the young room to go ahead and coach guys up, teach guys up. Obviously that versatility as well. Thought the areas that he could work on were speed rushers, getting around that edge quickly, and then playing out in space too on some of those pulls where he's, you know, they're they're kind of running traps or getting out and leading the 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 uh, jet sweep guy coming that direction. Other players in the roster here, Robert Jones will be a restricted free agent in 2024 on that rookie deal as an undrafted free agent, so he is uh, still here in Miami. But three pressures, one hits, no sacks, 93.5 pass block efficiency. Uh, you know that that's really volatile with the number of snaps he played, 34. And Emery Hunt, we had him on the podcast. He's actually from CBS Sports as well. He uh, told me. That man is built like a deep freezer. And I loved that. I told him I'm going to steal that phrase. It's so good because he's so, so so thickly built in the lower half. And to be that thickly built and to have the pop that he has in his hips, it's a nice combination. I just put pad level for improvement, but I got to see more anyway. He's only played a few snaps in the NFL. Solomon Kimley due up in 2024. So he is here as well. Six pressures, no hits and no sack, uh, no hits and one sack, I should say. 96.3 pass block efficiency, 86 pass blocking snacks, snaps. <laughs> he had some snacks too. Sheer size and push and tenacity. I wrote down punish jumpers where he's, when guys would try to elevate and get their hands in the football, he would find a way to get them on the ground and, and make sure they don't want to do that again. And then for his improvement, just consistency is staying on blocks and staying more square and pass pro so you don't get ran around. Only one UFA on the bunch here, Greg Mance. He allowed five pressures, no hits, and one sack. 97.8% pass block efficiency on 142 snaps. Thought he showed good acumen to come in right away and pick up the complexities and protection calls in a pinch. Some guys that finished on the reserve list, Larnell Coleman and Greg Little did not play this year for the Dolphins. In total, the room, I thought the push and lanes in the run game got better as the year went along. Need to afford more true drop back time for the quarterback, better protection off the edge, and better communication on stunts and games, rush games, I should say, from the defensive line. The draft is absolutely loaded this year. Evan Neal declared, I think, on Thursday from Alabama. Kenyon Green might be the best of the bunch. Both those two guys are top 10 picks, most likely. He's from AM. He can play tackle. He can play guard. He is very good. So is Ikem Ekwanu from North Carolina State, an absolute monster. And then Charles Cross. All of four of those guys are in the top 13 on CBS Sports rankings. Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan, an absolute monster. He kicked the Cougs' ass in the bowl game. Jackson Kirkland from UW. Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. Thayer Munford from Ohio State, Daniel Falele, 380-pound Daniel Falele at Minnesota, Jameer Slayer from Georgia, Chris Paul from Tulsa. Keep an eye on that guy. He's He's got some skills there. And then Abraham Lucas from 
Washington State University, go Cougs. It's a lot of tackles, guys. Those are all top 100 players on CBS's big board. As far as PFF's free agent big board, the top 100, Teron Armstead from New Orleans. He's one of the greatest tackles of the last decade, just has had some health issues staying on the field. Cam Robinson from Jacksonville, Trent Brown from the Patriots, Nate Solder, Riley Reef, Eric Fisher, and Morgan Moses, your top free agent tackles, according to Pro Football Focus. Finishing up on the interior offensive line, well, we already talked about our guys, so let's go ahead and go to the draft. Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa is a—he would be a top ten pick if center was regarded in that re, in that regard, held in that regard. It still might be, but he's. But what I'm trying to tell you is he is an elite level center prospect. Zion Johnson from Boston College is a big man that can move. Darian Kennard from Kentucky, all same deal. Donovan West, Arizona State, Sean Ryan, UCLA. And then free agency, Ryan Jensen's one of the best centers in the National Football League. We'll see if Tampa Bay lets him go. I doubt they do. Brandon Scherf from Washington. He was a guard that was on the, supposed to hit the market last year. Got the tag. He's back on the market again this year. Jason Kelsey, one of the all-time great centers from Philadelphia, is a free agent. Mike Glowinski from Indy, good player there. Richie Incognito, Chris Reed, who I love when he was here. He's also a free agent. Andrew Norwell, Lakin Tomlinson, and Matt Paradis. So that is your part one of the offseason primer. We'll come back on Monday and talk about defense. Let's make my wild card round playoff picks here real quick. I'm going with the upset off the top. First game on Saturday. Give me the Raiders over the Bengals. I love me some Derek Carr, man. I was not a fan of his game early in his career, but he has really won me over. I, I love what he does. He's a great player. Give me the Raiders over the Bengals. Give me the Bills over the Patriots. Give me the Bucks over the Eagles. I will take the Cowboys over the 49ers, as all of you should be rooting for that, because that will solidify Miami's first-round draft pick and where it falls. If if the Niners lose this weekend, they will be aligned with whoever has the worst record among losing teams this weekend. So it could be as high as 18 if the games go our way, and as low as, well, could be on next week. We don't want that. Give me the Chiefs over the Steelers and the Cardinals over the Rams. That's a ballsy pick, but I'm going to do it. So part two coming up your way on Monday. You all, please be sure to check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review, as that's going to be my time today. You all follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL, please. Follow the Miami Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. They have plenty of content coming your way this offseason as well. Check out myself and Joanna Torres on Dolphins Today up on the YouTube channel, where you can also find all the media availabilities we do this offseason. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy is coming home.